Every week, agents, buyers and sellers pawn over the auction results to see what properties are selling, for how much, and to see how the market is reacting to different parameters, like interest rate changes, the stock market activity, and even government incentives. Today, we are going to find out how we can be more savvy when reading the auction results. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Lander. Real Estate Right has the big names, the top experts, and the best advice for those who don't do real estate every day, but also for those who need to brush up on their real estate knowledge. You can subscribe, rate, and review Real Estate Right wherever you listen to your podcasts. So get on board, tell your friends and family that Real Estate Right is your best friend when it comes to real estate. Frank Volantic is the bald-headed buyer's advocate we know from the block. He's got more front than Myers. He's got more know-how than possibly 100 agents at a real estate conference. And he's one of the most trusted and respected people in the business. Welcome, Frank. Yay. How are we going today? Good. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah, thanks for coming again. Um, so, Frank, what is the percentage of properties that actually go to auction? Well, uh, we sort of touched on our last episode. Yeah, but yeah, well, it's interesting. Most people think Melbourne's the auction capital of the world, uh, and we only have about 18 to 20% of our properties that go to public auction. Uh, the other 80, 82% on average um, sell privately. So, they're either private sale, wow. expression of interest, tender. Uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, sale by negotiation, whatever the, the terminology is, set sale is another one that's not really yes. cool. Uh, but, you know, it is a smaller portion. So, but the auction market does still give you a lot of insight into what is happening in the Melbourne market. It's like almost the barometer of what our market's doing because, you know, if, if the auction results are solid and the clearance rate results are solid, then we tend to find that that really yeah. sort of, is a, a good indicator of how the overall market's performing in Melbourne. So does it tend to be more houses than units that go to auction? Yes, I'd say so. Um, and, you know, typically in the uh, inner suburbs, you know, most properties uh, that are sort of period-style houses would sell at auction because uh, you want to sort of auction properties where there's more demand than there is supply uh, so that you get the highest price uh, versus, say, you know, um, selling uh, new builds out in housing estates where there's, you know, there's there's plentiful supply um, and less demand. They're cookie cutters. Yeah, it would it wouldn't quite work <laughs> as well. Or if we have a look at, you yeah. know, the inner um, inner ring uh, of apartment markets, like city apartments, uh, you wouldn't typically auction those properties because there's uh, a much larger supply and oversupply versus demand. So yeah. it does come down to, you know, the type of property and I suppose if if it's going to be a sought after one then public auction can really get that you know really strong result where you've got people competing emotionally for for the property's keys definitely in saying all of that what percentage of properties do you actually buy at auction well we only buy a very small percentage now you know i'd say it's probably five to ten percent yeah. um, whereas you know we're buying 90 percent uh what I call off market or private sale mm-hmm. uh and you know that's now after 20 years of being a business as a buyer's advocate and 25 years of buying my own properties, 
that we've got really good networks and connections with agents all over Melbourne uh, because we do have clients that are buying all over Melbourne uh, and having those connections because there are, you know, 82% of those properties roughly are selling privately. Mm. Uh, I'd rather target those properties than the 20% or 18% that are selling at auction. Mm. Um, And, you know, we're seeing sometimes five to 10 bidders. Uh, We saw saw that at the block auctions last year where, you know, every every property sold for a premium price and there were four to five bidders uh, competing for each of those properties. And and that's not uh, how you can buy well. Uh, you know, when you're selling, that's great for a seller. But if you're a buyer, then um, you want to try and, and turn the tables in your favour. Uh, and the way that we do that through our buyer's advocate services, you know, trying to access those um, off-market sales. Often there's sales that, uh, you know, an older person is selling for the first time in 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. They've never auctioned the property before. Uh, They've never paid marketing or advertising for a property ever before because when they bought these properties a very, very long time ago. Yes, I've seen plenty of those, that's for sure. And and they don't know what they're doing. And that's why we have this podcast for those people who don't do it every day. And um, it it can be sort of, as I said, a... A very very stressful experience for them as well and and yeah. uh often you know throw in the auction uh and you know all that uh all that all that sort of uncertainty mm. um and all the stress of that um you know can be very very nerve-wracking for many uh people when they're selling and so that's why i would say there are you know so many properties being um sold off market or privately in melbourne so- Auction results show us how the market reacts to the properties available for sale. A property can be listed as sold, sold prior, withdrawn from sale or passed in. What can we read from those statistics? I think the uh, the main thing that I look at is the clearance rates. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you've got a clearance rate of 75% plus, uh, we tend to determine that as more of a seller's market. If the clearance rates are lower at 40 to 50%, um, and you know, well below 75%, then we're sort of seeing that as more of a buyer's market. Yeah. Um, it's all about obviously the supply versus demand equation, mm-hmm. and that's what moves. Uh, and the goalposts move because of that, really. It's about how much uh, demand there is, um, how much supply there is. Uh, when COVID first hit last year, people were sort of predicting these crazy uh, price drops of 30 to 40%, and you know, that it would be a total buyer's market, and it hasn't eventuated in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and we, we are still very much a seller's market mm. uh, because the, the stock levels of, you know, most of uh, the properties that people want, those, those homes um, and, and that are more family-oriented, uh, seeing much demand than supply. Uh, versus, as I said, we discussed before, you know, in a city apartments or your, you know, your, your house and land packages out further, there, there is more supply of those. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, it typically will just give you that barometer. Um, and then when you throw in a few other things like, you know, days on market, how long it's taking to sell those properties. And, you know, now Melbourne, most are selling in a four-week campaign. Some are taking, you know, a, another 10 days to sell if they are passed in. Um, and then also then how many bidders are at the auctions can mm. give you a, a really good indicator of you know, if there's four or five plus bidders, which there are at the moment for really good homes, then again, that's, that's showing you the strength of that market, how much those properties are selling over reserve. Yeah. They're all sort of 
giving you that, uh, I suppose, barometer of, of what's happening in the Melbourne market. When you actually read the auction results every Saturday when they come and get published, uh, they don't actually talk about how many bidders are at each property, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. Um, and that's where, obviously, you know, we listen to commentary and, you know, if you read the, um, yeah. the papers, they'll often talk about a few of the auction results and talk about how many bidders there were, um, you know, what the reserve was and, so, you know, it's important if you're a buyer to, to, uh, to, to keep up to date and see read what's happening in the auction results and how many bidders there are. Mm-hmm. Also really important to go out and, and, uh, and, you know, basically go to auctions on your own, get a feel for the market mm-hmm. uh, because that's really on the ground seeing what's happening in the market. You're seeing the auctions live. You're seeing how many bidders there are. You're seeing what the reserves were. Um, you're seeing, you know, how confident the bidding is. Again, in a, in a hot market, um, you know, buyers are more aggressive with their bidding. They're, you know, they're using knockout bids. They're, We've seen a few of those recently. Yeah, we've seen a few, yeah. We saw them on the block, unfortunately. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got smashed by a few of them last year. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that, that again all gives you a, a feeling of, of what the market sentiment is. And as I said, at the moment yeah. uh, in Melbourne, you know, things are very, very strong and, and I can't see that sort of changing unless we have some major uh, major disasters uh, with COVID or with the economy and, with, you know, JobKeeper yeah. and loan deferrals and so forth. You know, there's some fallout from job losses, but uh, hopefully the worst is behind us now. Hopefully. Let's hope that. Now, are the media reporting the auction results now with private sales and expressions of interest in them, which they didn't do before. Yeah, they are. So I think because there's less or has been less auctions, um, you know, for instance, in Mm. the spring market that we saw last year, uh, you know, Melbourne would typically have, you know, thousands to 1,500 auctions each weekend. Uh, That was the the Mm. prime selling time. Uh, But, you know, in that period, we only were seeing 500, 600 auctions. Uh, So there's a a much lower number. So I think now, you know, the, the results are reporting some of the private sales expressions of interest uh, because there yeah. were more of those campaigns. I think now, as I said, uh, moving forward in 2021, there'll be more and more options um, now that, you know, obviously you're able to have larger numbers at auction uh, and, and yeah. you know, people are a bit more confident about the marketplace than maybe what they were when COVID first hit in sort of March, April last year. Um, but you get a good yeah. uh, sense of, you know, some of the private sale results. Uh, and as I say to my buyers, you know, monitor the results, see what's selling, keep your little um, book or, or whatever with, you know, some of the results, some of the auctions you go to, jot down the numbers, how many bidders there were, what it sold for, how much over reserve. And you can mm-hmm. then sort of hopefully uh, be, um, you know, in a, in a better position to, to take, uh, advantage of when there's a good opportunity to jump on it, be confident with what you're going to pay for it, um, be confident to bid uh, to a certain level because you've done your research, you're not going to buy a property and uh, pay too much and find that the banks won't, uh, you know, value that property or what you pay for it. So, you know, it is really, really important to do your due diligence. And I suppose that's what we do for a living as buyers advocates every day on looking at results, seeing what's happening in the market, looking at what's sold here. You're a statistician, aren't you? Well, you have to be <laughs> um, because you, you need to know, um, you know, you need to know about the market and uh, particularly if you're negotiating, if you're able to use some of the sales 
that have happened, um, it's your advantage and you know, you know, use those sales as leverage for your offer, then hopefully you're, you're able to purchase a property at a better price and, and we've got access to all the property data, which makes our job really, really easy. Um, because mm. we can access RP data and property data online and has every recorded mm. sale that comes through the Bay General's office. So all the off-market yeah. private sales, which, you know, the average buyer doesn't have access to if they're just looking on the real estate portal sites like realestate.com. Mm. Um, so, yeah. so that makes our job a lot easier. You know, we pay for that data, uh, but, you know, mm. it's without it, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to, to do our job as a buyer's advocate. So in saying that, like I'm, I know when I've looked through the auction results on domain or realestate.com, you see, or even the age, is the age still doing Yeah, they do. Sundays? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, sometimes you see an address one week and then and it's passed in and then you see this on the same address the next week and it's sold. Mm. Um, are they obviously doctoring the statistics a little bit or are they just wanting to boost up the fact that they've sold a property? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the agents, um, you know, if it's passed in, obviously you, you want to put it, it in the paper that it passed in because there's, you know, people read through the papers yeah. How many properties that I've bought when I see something's passed in, I'll go, great, you know, that's an opportunity for that client that we're working for. Jump on it, there might be a better opportunity. So, you know, putting it on and having it passed in, it can help you sell that property because you're advising people that that property didn't get sold. Uh, there might be an opportunity to negotiate. Um, then obviously when it gets sold, it goes to a different category anyway. So you've really, if you're putting it in as sold, it obviously shows that the property's been sold and, um, you know, it would be a bit of extra free PR for the uh, the agency. I guess I suppose buyers would be looking at it, going, "Oh wow, you know, it passed in at say six fifty. We expected it to go to seven fifty. Um, the reserves at seven hundred. Um, it's actually cheaper than what we thought. So, you know, we'll put that offer in. And you know, sometimes vendors do sort of uh, you know come down on their price and and you know relook at their reserves after an auction and as yeah. you know, particularly if they need to sell you know if they're under a bit of financial pressure because they've already bought another property yeah. or they're under whatever work uh, you know budget pressures that they might then be a bit more negotiable and and as I said I think you know it's, it's crazy when I see a property passed in and it's not reported in the papers by the agent because that agent's got a good chance to get that property out to the market uh, when people are having their cafe lattes and uh, having their breakfast on the Sunday morning and flicking through the, the property results that, that that can then find the buyer for that property. So I think it's really, really important to, to, to put it in. Uh, the papers hasn't sold. Obviously, changing the price online as well is crucial. Um, if there's been a price change, um, you know, putting that change ASAP on, on the website so that if people are flicking through, they can say, well, actually that price now has dropped seven. It's on you know, private sale, single price, 700000 yeah. Great. I, you know, that's now affordable. I thought it was going to go for seven fifty. Mm. Then you know, I might be able to look at buying that. So I think, um, you know, getting the prices updated uh, online as, as well as, uh, you know, in the print is is very, very smart strategy if, if you're selling because sometimes the right buyer is just not there on the day and sometimes, you know, uh, um, I remember buying a property late last year and uh, one of the buyers pulled out, there was the strongest buyer because they couldn't get finance the day before. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up buying a lot cheaper than I thought I'd have to pay at the time. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's it's a bit of luck. It's, it a bit it's of luck. Uh, almost like fate, you know, yeah. that the buyer turns up or they don't turn up. 
um, you could have that competition. You, you know, you might have to pay one two hundred thousand more or more. Mm. Um, so, mm. so sometimes, as I said, it, you know, you have a bit of luck, or as a seller, you have a bit of bad luck because you know some of the buyers haven't turned up. Uh, but you know, properties are still selling if they're a good property and they're priced well. Um, then we're seeing the Melbourne days on market, so generally ranging from around thirty to forty days at the moment yeah. uh, for, yeah. for properties. Um, apartments and units would be higher than that, mm. particularly in the you know the the uh, areas where there's a you know, oversupply in the inner suburbs. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah, you just got to keep sticking to your guns if you're if you're selling. You do now. So after a property's been passed in, what's the typical time frame that would they would stay on the market? Um, obviously, if it's raring to go, it could be five days. But generally, uh, an agent would have a a fixed time that they'd have an authority to sell that property, wouldn't they? Yeah, they do. And often, the um, authorities like a sixty day authority. <laughs> And then if it goes beyond the 60 days, there can be a continuing period. That could be another 30 to 60 days. Yeah. Um, if it's a family home in Melbourne in a good suburb uh, that's family friendly, then properties aren't, aren't hanging around too much longer than 30 to 40 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, said some of the apartments are, are taking 60 to 90 days to sell just because there's more of them all over Melbourne yeah. and you've got more supply. Whereas there's, there's a, I suppose, a finite number of family homes in Melbourne and, you know, that's the real big demand at the moment we're seeing, um, as well as units, you know, it's little villa units that have got courtyards. Uh, they're very, very popular with first-time buyers at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they're very, so uh, very... So people are less likely to go for an apartment because they can't work from home. It's very hard to, you know, and they want that outdoor space just in case we go back into another lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. And the outdoor space is crucial. And also often they're wanting to have that second bedroom. Uh, that could be a home office now, whereas, you know, uh, previously people might have bought one bedrooms or even rented. Yeah. Uh, we're just seeing in our rental area, the one bedroom apartments and units are really struggling because um, a lot of the people are moving from the one bedroom into the two bedrooms and using the second bedroom as a home office yeah. slash other you know, guest bedroom if they need to with a sofa bed in yeah, there. Yeah, sofa bed. We love a sofa bed. <laughs> uh, and doing that. So, so yeah, it, it is it is making a, a, a big difference in terms of, you know, what, you're, what you've got. If it's a house at the moment in Melbourne, we just yeah. don't have enough of them. Yeah. Why do people withdraw their properties from sale? Is there, is there any reason, especially if they put so much time and energy into putting it on the market in the first place? There's obviously various reasons. That sort of stuffs up the auction statistics a little bit too, doesn't it? It does. Um, I'd say that the main reason would be that obviously they haven't got the right price uh, to get it sold for, you know, for what they wanted Um, and they've decided to just, you know, take it off the market, whether they then revisit that in the future or not, or just keep renting it out. Um, And I, I think, you know, if you haven't got a result, you haven't got a result in 60, 90 days in Melbourne, then you've either uh, you've got a property that yeah, you're not pricing right or you're not mm. using the right agents to sell or it's not presented right. So it could be also, um, you know, like what we've said to a few of our clients, we can give it a crack with the tenants in there. But if the, uh, you know, result is not forthcoming, then you might want to just wait till the tenants move out. We'll relaunch it, put in styling furniture and help you get the highest price. So sometimes people um, try a a two-stage approach to selling. They might say, well, we've got a tenant in there. We know that it's not going to present as well as what it could, but Mm -hmm. let's give it a crack. 
yeah. and then that they can always then you know launch it online and you're not sort of having to repay the advertising in terms of you know the internet costs most of the internet uh, providers real estate portals are letting you relaunch it again in the future without having to sort of pay double double yeah. costs yeah. as such um, but I think often it just comes down to um, you know that they haven't got a result and it might uh, it might be just time to, to you know to, to put it aside for a while maybe revisit it later um, sometimes people just say well let's just rent it out for a while and we'll just see what happens later on yeah. their personal situation might have changed they you know might have um, had some financial difficulties to sort of thought of selling it yeah. that might have changed now they might be employed again now and, yeah. and not need to sell so they might say well I don't need to sell it now or I'll withdraw yeah. it from the market so I'd say that there'd be a number of reasons um, often I, often as well it could be that the property is a very difficult one to sell mm-hmm. uh, you know if you bought next to a petrol station or on a major highway um, and and the property might be really run down and needing a lot of work, then you're going to have less buyers that will be attracted to that properties. If they're, they're properties that will call sort of CD grade properties yeah. that are going to be really difficult to sell anyway, um, then some sometimes, you know, that the market just is not, uh, is not going to be conducive to selling that type of property. Mm, fair enough. So we will have a short break and come back with more with Frank talking to us about the frustration of those who choose to keep their property Selling price undisclosed. So, Frank, mm-hmm. why do vendors elect to not disclose the sale price of their property? It's a big question, and you see a lot of it. Yeah, well, I think the main one that we've seen when we're buying or selling for, for clients is that they don't want their friends and family to know their business. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't necessarily want them to know that, you know, they got a record price or they sold for, you know, this 300000 above reserve because they don't want their family and friends uh, to know. They might think the family and friends are going to try to get some money out of them or whatever. I don't know. I've never, like I've never not out. wanted to disclose. <laughs> yeah, I've never wanted to non-disclose it, but I'd say that would be one of one of the reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes if it's a buyer as well, that the buyers don't uh, don't want to disclose because they might have paid a real premium price and not particularly want everyone in the world to know as well. You know, so it's generally it's a premium price that gets undisclosed, is it? It's not like if it's a really crappy price. Oh, it could be. It could be either reason. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think if people have sold for a bad price, they also you know might go well. I don't really. I don't really want everyone to know that I let it go at that price. They almost yeah. feel could be the other end of the spectrum, Sue, where they feel embarrassed mm. that, you know, they've, they've sold for this figure. It's like, oh, geez, you know, I don't, I don't really want, um, I don't want the market to know what I sold for. Yeah. Um, could be that you've also got other properties in the area. If you've sold for a lower price and you don't want that to potentially affect the, the, the resale if you're selling some other properties as mm. well, some other properties. So you're sort of trying to keep that quiet. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll use an example. I've never really done it much myself, but I had two houses next to each other in Caulfield that I sold last year, mm. and uh, we sold one first. And I obviously didn't want that price to be disclosed because then we went to market with the second one because there was two semi-detached. Yeah, I wrote up the copy for one of those. Did you know that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, I I didn't want that to be disclosed to the buyer of 
the, the second property because I wanted to try and sell it for more than what we got for the first property. Okay. So that's why I didn't want it disclosed. So made sure that the selling agent didn't disclose it to anyone. Mm -hmm. And we ended up getting another 20000 for the second property. Oh, that's good. And I suppose if I had it disclosed the 900000 I don't think we would have got the nine twenty mm. the second one. So that was one reason. Um, I suppose if you're looking at selling, you know, if, if an owner has multiple properties like a developer in yeah. one complex, then, you know, that's another reason they wouldn't want it to be disclosed. Yeah. Because again, they might not want the buyers to go, well, that one sold for 600. I want to get it for less. So I'm going to negotiate a lower price. So I'm going to offer them 550. So that could be another reason if you're a developer. Yeah. Then typically not going to want, um, or, you know, they've got a, a group of townhouses or apartments. You're not going to want those prices to be disclosed because it could affect your negotiations on the other ones as well. Yeah. Fair enough. But I think I think a lot of the time it's just not letting the family and friends know, you know, what you paid when you're buying or what you paid when you're selling because, you know, a buyer can do it as well. They can sort of say, yeah. um, when we yeah. sold our place last year, the buyer requested that, um, you know, the property price was not disclosed and we got an Elwood record. So whether she didn't want her family and friends to know, you know, what the price was, um, had, the, had their reasons, we were happy not to to put it out there and disclose the exact price. But you're just happy that it was an Elwood record. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And <laughs> people sort of knew, people were there that, so they could sort of get an idea of what the result was because yeah. it, you know, it was an option. So. Yeah, so that's how it happened. So in saying that, how do the REIV and the, the real estate websites work out the median sale prices for the suburbs if results are undisclosed? Well, they usually become disclosed in the future, if that makes sense, because... Uh, um, you know, the, the RP data and property data online, um, you know, databases that we use um, are all basically filtered through the, the, the results um, of all recorded sales mm. through the Value General's office. So that anything that's stamped through the stamp duty um, office is eventually flows through to that system. So how long does that usually take? Does that is it six months, 12 months? Well, it depends on the settlement. It's, oh, well, okay. it depends on the settlement. So if it's 60 days, it's generally oh, after wow. settlement. So 60, 90 days. So it can be sort of, you know, from whenever the settlement is. If, if the settlement's in six months, then it's going to be yeah. after six months. Uh, but, but most settlements in Melbourne are 60 to 120 days. So a lot of them will then be um, disclosed or added on once that, property settles yeah. if that makes sense so in the initial bit the agent will say well we're not going to disclose it like I didn't want for those two Caulfield houses mm. but once that settled that became public knowledge because if anyone had access to the data and any agent did then it had come in under the value of general's data yeah. and therefore it would be a disclosed result so it's still used there's just a little bit of a lag yeah um Sue so when the, the REIVs you know doing their median um prices and, and RP data and they're doing their prices and realestate.com, uh, there'll be just a lag in the data, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. The data would be based on, uh, you know, the, the, the data on settlement versus the data on, on purchase. Yeah. So on purchase, you won't know what the buyer paid for my property, but we had a six-month settlement. So in six months' time, everyone knew what that property sold for yeah. because it would come in under the the data through the value general's yeah. office so so it can give you a bit of a lag if you're not having access to, to that data in terms of you know the market because you sort of the data is really uh tomorrow's results yeah. you know those those yeah. results come in later versus 
you know, that probably sold six months ago. I'm not going to know what it sold for for six months. So, so when you see those um, medium price searches on realestate.com and on domain.com and it says, okay, this suburb is valued, you know, between this and this or whatever, um, or this is the medium price, those are done by the, the settled statistics, not the sale statistics. Um, I'm not sure how they're done, but what I'd say is they're never going to be really accurate because you've got always this lag in in the the results. So they're never going to be, you can never say like in Alwood, the median house price is sort of circa two million. Now it's never totally accurate because you've got all these sales that have happened that aren't in the data yet. And then you've got these sales now happening that are going to be in the data in three months time. It sort of averages itself yeah. out because you've got the the sales from you know three four months ago now hitting in, and these sales are being going to hit in in three four yeah. months time. So yeah. it's almost like a bit of um, catch up, a lag in the data. Yeah. So you you couldn't say it's a hundred percent accurate, no. but you, you'd also say that you know it is it is I suppose just uh, you know moving from one one sort of time frame to another, and it's probably fairly accurate because median prices will give you a rough gauge of where the market is. Yeah. It's not going to tell you exactly what you should pay for any house in Melbourne. No. It'll just give you a point that, you know, probably about 80% of sales are happening at that median house price yeah. um, or median unit yeah. price. And it should just give you an indicator of, you know, what's happening in that market in, in that suburb, mm. uh, not sort of giving you, okay, I, I should pay $2 million if I'm buying a house in Elwood. Yeah. Um, it should give you an idea of, of, of what's mm. happening in the area, if that makes sense. Uh, the data is good, but you know, um, if you go to auctions, you'll you'll get to see a lot of the undisclosed results anyway, yeah. because at a public auction, you'll find out what's sold for. Now, the owners and the buyer can then not want to disclose it out to the Age or the Herald Sun, mm. and you won't see that in the papers tomorrow. But if you're going to auctions, you know you'll see the the results. A lot of them are first-hand uh, results, and and it's funny, but some of those buyers and sellers that sell or buy at auction still want the auction results, those results undisclosed, even yeah. though everyone has seen the result anyway. Yeah. But they they obviously know that not everyone turns up at an auction. No. You know, there's, there's more people that read the Herald Sun or, yeah. or The Age or go online on realestate.com. Yeah. And you'll see how many times you said, Sue, they would just say contact agent. Yeah. It won't have the price that it's sold for. Yeah. So are there any other hidden messages we should be reading into when we look at the auction results? Um, I think yeah, the the other uh, ones that I would always look at is you know the the strength of the market, how many bidders, mm. how much percentage over reserve are, are we seeing those properties sell for? Yeah. Uh, you know the days on market. I think they're they're some okay. of the main ones to look at, and also the volume mm. um, of auctions. Now if you've got a thousand plus auctions in Melbourne um, on a weekend you know very much that sellers are very confident of putting their properties up for public auction and selling by that method. Mm. And we're, we're in a real seller's market. If you've got 100 auctions on a weekend and, and we're in COVID times and everyone's really stressed and nervous about it, yeah. then that's going to be more you know, buyer's market. So, so just you know, the volume of auctions is, is definitely really important to have a look at how many auctions are happening in Melbourne. Um, I think the other... The other part of it is, um, you know, how many, uh, how many of those properties uh, are, are, are competing in the marketplaces as well against other properties. So, you know, often if there's a, um, a, a low supply of, of properties of family homes, I would say, in Brighton, mm. then you're going to see 
um, a bit of a spike in clearance rates in that suburb uh, versus, you know, there might be a, a higher supply during spring. Um, so I think the auction results are always just a good indicator of the supply and demand of what's happening in a particular market. And because all the markets are segmented and, you know, um, you know, I hate it when people sort of say uh, what's happening in the Melbourne market and they expect you to have one answer to cover the whole market because... It doesn't work that way. Yeah, different <laughs> pockets work, work differently. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd always say the auction stats can give you a really good barometer of what's happening. Uh, and yeah. when we had COVID hit last year and we didn't have many auctions or had very few... It's sort of almost you lose your your finger on the pulse of what's really happening in the market um, because yeah. you, you you know you're not going to those auctions you're not seeing the bidding live you're not seeing how aggressive people are bidding and um, you're not yeah. seeing those knockout bids or the what I call up bids you know someone bids a thousand dollars and someone goes over the top and bids yeah. a lot more um, yeah. so that's some of the things that. Uh, that I'd uh, I'd sort of you know some tips for sellers and buyers yeah. when they're when they're looking at the the auction market. Um, I think as a buyer, I think it's really important to to make sure that you don't get emotional and overpay. Yes, there's always another property out there. Um, for instance, last year I was interested in the, in a few of the block properties, and uh, unfortunately yeah. they went way above what I would uh, recommend being good value for money. Um, yeah. So I let them go. And there's always another property. And I literally bought another house in Elwood a, a week later for a, a lot less money. And yeah. it was meant to be. So sometimes you think you've, you know, missed out on your dream home. The, dream. And, uh, the world is collapsing and crumbling <laughs> a, a, in front of you. As I got told by one agent uh, many years ago, I can remember Joanna, uh, she was taking me through houses in Reservoir when I bought my first home in, in East Brunswick. Many years. She, she said, there's always another house Frank there's always another house there'll be always always another house so that's one one little bit of party advice is you know sometimes you really want that Parkdale property and there's 18 offers and you miss out on it there's always going to be another house in Parkdale there'll be another one that comes up and the timing will be right when it's supposed to be right yeah yeah and and sometimes as as, uh, as I've seen with my clients you think it's the end of the world and you've really missed out on your dream property, you know, particularly with the auction scenario, because, you know, it can be really devastating being at an auction. You, you, yeah. You're the second last bidder, you're the underbidder, and you're that close, you're, you're that far away, and it can be sort of almost devastating, gut-wrenching. But then, as, as uh, Joanna said, that real estate agent from Stockdale, they're going reservoir, it was like, there'll be always another house. There's always another house. There's not one house in Melbourne. There's always going to be other houses, so yeah. so I think push yourself in the in the current market when you're in a in a um, seller's market, which we we have very much been in Melbourne for um, a while now. I think the last few years, and you know, yeah. given we had a bit of a interruption with COVID, uh, that you know push yourself because I don't see property prices ever going backwards on, on the long term. No. So I think it's important, you know, that you push yourself, but you also Try not to get over emotional. Try not to overpay because um, you know most people are getting a loan and the bank's going to value that property. And if you've overpaid, the bank's only going to give you the money that they think it's worth, not what you think it's worth. Um, so I think that's my last bit of parting advice: is you know, um, as buyers advocates, we've never had a client in the last twenty years where the bank has valued it less because we just make sure that we 
we get it right and we, we don't gamble our clients' money, which is what you're doing yeah. if you sort of go out and buy a property at auction. Yeah. It's unconditional sale, unconditional purchase. Yeah. The property's yeah. valued 100 or 200,000 less, you've got a major problem on your hands. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's the, the last bit of party advice. Get someone else to to negotiate for you, whether it's a buyer's advocate like me, that'd be great. Yeah. Or you, a family member or a friend that's um, that's experienced and bought some property yeah. before, just take that emotion away so you don't get caught up in all the hype. Because a good auctioneer can almost um, mesmerise you. Yes. And it could be spellbinding that you're just, you're in this zone and before you know it, you don't even know what you've paid, how many times I've walked into properties that the buyer of a, of a seller advocacy property is that to ask what they actually paid? They don't. They don't even. They don't even remember where the price has got to, and, and you know, because they're blown away. It's almost like a trance. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a trance yeah. they're in, and uh, I just hope that they've got a, an approval up to that level yeah. that they've paid. Because you know, sometimes as I said, a good auctioneer is that's what they do for a living. Yeah. They're about sort of playing on your emotions mm. and and hooking you in. Yeah. And um, so that's the other thing is yeah, get get a family or friend. Yeah. To negotiate um, or yeah. advice advocate, yeah. you know, take take that emotion out. Um, yeah, and I, uh, fine. I bought a home last year for myself, and they're the hardest negotiations for me when I'm actually emotionally involved yeah. and I'm emotionally invested in that property. I've got to try and still separate the emotion. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, whereas when I'm bidding for a client or your dad or your mates bidding for you. Uh, they're not emotionally invested, so they can tend to be a, a bit more sort of, I suppose, business. It's about business and, you know, making sure that, you know, you don't get carried away as well. So Definitely. that's a little bit of other advice as well. Thanks so much, Frank, for coming on again today. You have opened our eyes into what the auction results reveal and how we can use them to our advantage. So, Frank, do you have a special offer for our listeners this week? I Always have a special offer for your listeners, Sue. Oh, and uh, for those blockheads out there that love seeing the block, uh, most people would have seen uh, that uh, the block has bought their next uh, houses in uh, Bronte Court in Hampton. Yes. So we'll hopefully be involved in that series later this year. Yeah. And what we'll be offering people is uh, a free tour of uh, the, the new block properties when they're uh, renovated and ready to go and just before they go up for auction, which will be later this year in uh, yep. around late November. Amazing. Um, so, so that will be a free tour. Thank with, you with so much. We had great, um, a great response last year from um, our last uh, giveaway of, of the block. So, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. It's um, it's a great prize and, and there's so many people. Like I had people from Sydney wanting to come down to do it. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. This, this one amazing. guy, he goes, I've been to almost all of them and he goes, oh, I'd love to win it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure how we can do that with COVID this year. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hopefully this year well, we, we can, can get oh, at yeah. least, yeah, we can get a, we can get a, the winning uh, person to come down with the, you know, their family and uh, we can get them guided to us. So yeah. that'll yeah. be exciting. Um, I'm sure it will be another exciting series, uh, you know, family homes in Hampton. So going out, out just a, a few kilometres out, out further yeah. past Brighton from where the last houses were. Yeah. Um, in a family-friendly court, I'm sure there will be lots of, lot of interest again. I think the there will house. be. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Frank. It's always a pleasure to have you in. You've always given us a great insight into the industry. 
Next week, we are talking to Tonya Davidson from Davidson & Associates about the top tips for preparing your home for settlement. It's amazing how different agents work when it comes to settlement, but the reality is you shouldn't compromise on what you would want from your settlement. Tonya will give us the insight into what we should be doing as sellers and what to expect if we are a buyer when completing a property transaction. Don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted, written and produced by Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, Zoom for our video link, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a real estate copywriting service writing property all over Melbourne since 1998. If you would like Sue and her team of copywriters to write your property, go through the email address orders at realcopyright.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Real Estate Right on your favourite podcast platform. And if you would like to ask one of our experts a question on the podcast, email your question to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.